What's up, hardcore humans? This is Dr. Mike with another episode of the Hardcore Humanism Podcast. So thrilled today to be talking with Allison Mosshart. Allison was originally in the punk rock band Discount and then went on to be a member of The Kills as well as The Dead Weather with Jack White. In fact, I first became aware of Allison's work during her blistering performance in the live video of The Dead Weather's Will There Be Enough Water. Now she's got a spoken word album out called Sound Wheel, which is a companion piece to her art book Karma. And Allison has a forthcoming 7-inch release on Domino for her new singles Rise and It Ain't Water. So what Allison and I are talking about today is the concept of rootlessness. Now, rootlessness can be a double-edged sword. Some of us may feel exhilarated by the freedom, trying new things and seeing new places, while others may be terrified by that feeling of being untethered, ungrounded. Well, Allison offers a different perspective, one where her rootless lifestyle actually promotes a sense of connection. So we are thrilled to be here on the Hardcore Humanism podcast with Allison Mosshart, uh, The Kills, Dead Weather. She's doing a solo project. She's doing a spoken word project. She paints, and we're here to talk to her about all of it. Allison, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Hi. Hi. So one of the things that we wanted to talk about today was a recent quote that you had about the concept of rootlessness. And yeah. I, I thought that was a fascinating concept. And I was just kind of curious to start off. What does that mean to you? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's the best way for me to describe how my life has been. I've been on tour since I was 14, really. And I really love waking up in a different place every day. That feels very grounding to me in a strange way. But when described to someone else, it's kind of, it can sound like a nightmare. You know, I suppose I'd never know where home is when people describe about home or where, where, where do you live or, or, you know, which, which place that you live feels most like home. I can never really answer that question. I suppose that that term is just for me to describe the differences between what I hear everyone else talk about when they describe those things. Now, when, when I hear that term, I think of on the positive end, there's such a freedom that goes along with that, you know, this fantastic freedom. And yeah. then on the other hand, for some people, it might feel scary because the idea of roots feels secure and comforting. Yeah, absolutely. I think my roots are in different things. My roots are in performing. My roots are in my friends. I noticed this very early on. Well, you know, during my teenage years and my early 20s, if I wasn't on tour, I really missed everybody. You know, I missed my friends and my family that live everywhere. And it quickly became that every major city that we went to, you know, you had these friends, these good friends, especially in the early days where you always, we didn't have money to stay in hotels. So you stayed at people's houses and you developed friendships that lasted, well, my whole life at this point. So that was my, that was what I was rooted in was seeing these people and being home. It was kind of a strange thing where it would just be like, this one place and this one sort of routine or whatever, or just how to figure out how to live normally, which was not coming very easily to me. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting because I'll tell you what, I've been like, wow, I've got 27 years of being home to catch up on. And I'm not, I don't really like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting because did I read correctly that your dad used to take, your family on the road every summer? 
yeah, I think it's all of this is his fault, you know, in a funny way, but I would go to school all year, you know, and then the day that school was out, we would get into a van or an RV or whatever it was. He was a used car dealer. So it was always a different, it's different surprise. And we would drive around the country for the whole of the summer, the whole thing until I had to go back to school. And he's like me in that, even when I was a kid, I'd be like, oh, I really love it here. Can we stay three days? And it was like, no, <laughs> we have to go. <laughs> like he liked the act of movement, moving and moving on. It was like this like mad rush to get somewhere and you get there and you've accomplished that. And now you were like, okay, can't wait to leave again. And it was sort of a really strange thing when I was a kid, because when you're a kid, you're like, well, I just lived in one place and been going to school. And so I was used to being, you know, still for a second. And then the summer would come and there would be just this constant kind of more time on the highway, I think, than anywhere we stopped. It's interesting because you brought up that term normal before. And, yeah. and I feel like it's, it's kind of unfortunate that you would feel like, oh, this isn't normal, you know, because we, we have this very kind of strange situation where, you know, now you're, you're this well-known rocker and people see these performances and, you know, they, they, they see like kissy kissy and they see, you know, will there be enough water? And they're like, oh, where's all that, you know, yeah. all that passion come from. And yet, we would kind of expect like, oh, but she should have had a quote unquote normal life. And it's like, why would we expect that? You know? I I mean, I don't even know what normal means. Normal in my mind means just what you're used to the most, you know? But I suppose I did have a normal life or whatever. You know, I was a kid. I went to school. I grew up in a little town in Florida. I always, always, always wanted to leave. And I never liked it there. And I was too hot and I couldn't wait to go anywhere all the time. I was obsessed with big cities and I never got to see them, you know? And so the rest of my life turned out to be um, doing all of that stuff all the time. And that became normal. So I don't know. I don't know where it all comes from. I don't know. It's interesting because for a lot of people, they have this moment in their life where they recognize, okay, I do things that feels a little bit different from how other people do it. And I have a choice at that point. Do I suppress how I naturally am and kind of go with how people are so that you could be quote unquote normal? Or do I stay true to myself? And I'm kind of curious from your perspective, how were you able to know that even though this isn't what other people were doing, this, this is what you were supposed to do? I suppose because I loved it so much. You know, there was something about my love for playing music and being on tour and even just any of those things I was into when I was a kid, art or writing, I would become so enveloped in them. I would become so obsessed. I wouldn't stop doing them. I would lock my door and do these things, you know, 18 hours a day. And it wasn't like I had a choice to evaluate, is this normal behavior or not? Is this normal? Is this acceptable? Are people liking this or not liking this? It really, truly made me feel good and safe. And I loved being on my own missions, you know. And because I was, I think, so steadfast in that, I developed friendships with other people who were similar in that way, you know. Didn't have any problems sitting around and drawing for 12 straight hours, you know, at the age of 10. And so my friends groups have never been very large, But they've always been, you know, I think you attract that same energy. Those things that you enjoy doing in life, I suppose I just never, I never thought there was anything wrong with it. Yeah, and it's what you described before, which I'm kind of curious about when you first started touring. A lot of people who 
have not been in that world or are not familiar with that kind of lifestyle wouldn't necessarily pick up on the fact that you're not just going from place to place and you know staying maybe in hotels and just you know kind of leaving you're you're connecting with people you know you're connecting with people who are part of that community even if it's yeah. a little bit loose and just what that was like for you and how you discovered that I don't know. It's like this thread. It's this undercurrent, this thing, people that travel for a living, move around, even people that work at hotel desks, people that work at airports, you know, it's like this other society of movement and the facilitation of movement. And there's like a language. There's a something, you know, you know, someone that is never sits still, you can tell there's a different, why, why does it feel like home when you're in the airport in Tokyo and you know every corner of that place? I mean, this is almost useless information, but yet you could talk about it for three hours to some total stranger who's exactly the same. And I don't know. It's this whole other skill set. I don't know if it's even, I don't know what you use it for other than this, but I don't know. I'm, I digress. Um, this is not a digression. This is fantastic. Please. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's how you find your people. I mean, much like when I was a kid, it was like, did you like skateboarding? Did you like punk rock? Did you, did you, could, did you love drawing and art and stuff? And was that it? And did you like to sit around and read? And, you know, there's the people that you surround yourself with. And that, and that kind of always grows, you know, into this other thing when you kind of go and do that for a living and a life. There's so many people out there doing that. I always find it fascinating when, say, like a friend comes on the road for three or four days or something, hops on the tour bus, and the kind of way that the experience is perceived is so incredibly different than my own. It doesn't have that adrenaline kick at the end of the night where you're going to get to go on stage, you know, and your mission for getting from one place to the next is always this performance. So no matter how rotten or messed up the day is, no matter, you know, a thousand things can go wrong. It can be very uncomfortable. It can be very, very sleepless. Early flights, late nights, over and over and over again, all of that. I mean, it rags a person out. It totally rags a person out. But for some reason, if you're the one playing, you have this like super shot of purpose and adrenaline and feel great on one hour of sleep. You know, I mean, I'm not saying your best, but you kind of don't feel pain in the same way. And I think that's the thing that really hooked me to that, that life, that career, that, you know, that thing. And, and it's something I really miss. It's funny when you come off tour, you just suddenly you're sick, your immune system goes down, your adrenaline's gone. There's nothing to hold the pieces together. The glue melts, you know, and you're back on earth, you know, washing dishes and making beds and figuring out how the hell do I feed myself? What is going on? Oh man, I, th I got depressed just hearing you say it like that. Well, it's funny. There's a moment of transition, you know? There's a moment of transition where you're, you are forced to think about all sorts of things. You can feel stuff. You can feel different. I mean, you can feel your age. You can feel your muscles. You can feel <laughs> your face, you know? I mean, if you ask any band, they always get sick when they get off the road. They never get, they're never sick on the road. You can tour for three straight years and you won't even have a sniffle. And then you get home and you've got bronchitis and sinus infections and flu and, you know, a rash or some sort. I mean, whatever. It's just like your body just goes, all right, now it's my turn. I'm going to catch up on all that stuff. 
it's pretty crazy. Adrenaline is an amazing thing like that. If we were all really excited about stuff all the time, we would never get sick. I'm convinced of it. Now, I want to play on this adrenaline concept because, and I want to talk about the different ways that you express your art, whether it's, it's in terms of the art itself or the performance of it. One of the things that you talked about before was being able to, whether it was write or draw or practice, like you said, for 16 hours straight. And, yeah. and if, you're, if, you're, if you're sitting, for lack of a better saying it, waiting for that wave, that can make sense. Whereas if you're expected to do that at a particular time, like in a performance, yeah. that, that might be different. And I'm, I'm sort of curious from your perspective, when you create, is it always about connecting in with that wave or is it different connections for different types of art? It is all different. You know, there's, there's common times where I'll be working on a song and if I get stuck or frustrated in any way, I'll turn around and start painting and, you know, I'll just move around the room in a circle like a hawk and like shiny things are catching my eye and I want to work on this. And then I want to work on that. A really good run is when you get lost in it, you know, and being lost is a similar feeling to being on stage and being lost in it. It's kind of like a dream. You sort of go somewhere else you're stronger than you think, you're faster than you think, you know what I mean? Something else kicks in. And I think that's adrenaline. And I can have it if I'm making a painting and some, somehow it's like all coming together, almost it feels like without me, you know, I'm not really controlling it. It doesn't feel like it, you know, or at least I've freed my mind so much that I'm not overthinking things. So you get those moments when you're working on creative things, no matter what they are, a breakthrough. So you're writing a piece and all of a sudden this beautiful line comes into your head and it just changes the whole entire thing. Suddenly you found it, you know, but the surefire way for that feeling for me has always been performing. I mean, it's immediate. There's so much fear involved. There's this line in the sand, you're on a stage and you've got thousands of people in front of you which are full of energy. I think every show, every performance is 75, 85, 95% the audience. It's about them. And they're giving you that gift of this kind of superhuman energy. And with that, you can do wonderful and wild things. You know, when you walk off stage, it's like you've, I don't know, you've been gifted this incredible chance to push yourself somewhere where you probably couldn't do it yourself. You know, I was having this conversation with a friend the other day about what's going to happen to venues and what, you know, what is the live scene going to be like after all of this and who's going to make it? How are people going to make it? And why don't they do these performances with bands on stages in these clubs that are filmed with no audience? And I was trying to explain, in my opinion, the show is the audience, you know, and I don't, think that's going to come across in the way that we all think. Bands are not just like, you don't just put them on a stage with no one in front and they perform in that, to that level. You know, you've seen what a band looks like in the studio. That's the truth. Everyone's standing still, you know, concentrating. It's a different thing. And, but the audience is, is everything. So Back to painting, one of my favorite ways to paint is backstage when there's just people like stepping over me, all around me. Painting almost like it were, you know, a performance in itself is much more exciting. Painting with other people around is really exciting. Painting with conversations going around and people talking and music playing is exciting. 
It's the same reason why I would go to the most crowded, noisy bar I can find to write in my book, because I need that energy or I like that energy. It's really inspiring. I don't know. It's, it's like my focusing point for some reason, but I think it all kind of comes back to the same thing, at least how I, how I do things. But, you know, you've, and tell me if I've got this quote, right, that you've talked about like, kind of like a song is a gift. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I don't know who said this quote, but they said, you don't write a song, you discover a song. And it, it sounds to me like if, if I can make this parallel that the energy that you get from a crowd is kind of like the same thing as when you're by yourself and you're waiting for inspiration. And you're, yes, like you're interacting with the crowd, you're interacting with yourself, whether you're playing or whatever, but it, it does have that feeling of, I'm, I'm just trying to connect into that vibe or that energy. Is that, is that a fair assessment? I am trying to connect into that energy, yeah. I mean, I think as an artist, you're trying to connect to people. You're trying to, I mean, for me doing that, it's always like trying to answer my questions, trying to figure out my confusions about human beings and psychology and what people are thinking, what people love and what they want. Answering my own questions, my own frustrations about my own lack of understandings, you know. And through art, it's like, that's always what I'm searching for. And when you're searching for that, other people end up relating to that because you find out a lot of people are searching for the same thing. And we're all trying to crack a code, you know, a lifetime of trying to crack many of them. And taking other people out of the equation kind of sucks the power out of of that, I think. Well, for me, I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't know how other people work, but I've just noticed this, that I work better with uh, probably as much distraction as possible. Do you mind me asking when you're talking about confusions about people, are there specific themes that you find that you tend to go on or have there been particular confusions that you were like, oh, I'm struggling to figure this one out? I mean, I would suppose it would all come down to like love and happiness, you know, How, how to feel good about yourself or how to understand a person that you love or that you're arguing with or that doesn't understand where you're coming from and what are you missing and how are you not able to explain it and why is there such misunderstanding? I think just the most basic, normal human emotions and questions, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to describe except I, I, you know, anytime I have any kind of a problem, I'll always end up writing about it or always end up doing something about it. You know, and sometimes you like wonder, are you looking for problems so you'll have something to question, you know, or to dive into forever and, and figure out? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's interesting because I've always had a problem with like the happiness concept. I, I, I've listened yeah. to different people talk and I think Ian Mackay said it once that he was saying like, like it's not, it, he doesn't experience things like it's happiness. It's more as fulfillment. I think Billy Corgan of the Pumpkins said something similar. Like, you know, we, it wasn't like, oh, we were having like this great time. It was like a good time as if we wrote a good song, a good time as we played a good show. And so I I am kind of curious when you're talking about that stuff, do you have a sense of this is the kind of thing emotionally that I'm going for when I say, oh, I I, want to be happy. It's like, I want to feel like this, or you're just kind of like, I'm not even sure how I want to feel. Yeah. I don't really know what it is. I know times when, you know, I know the things that make me feel good and to not be depressed is 
happiness, happiness itself. I, I don't really know. Ultimately. I mean, I don't know anyone like that that walks around with the big ass grin on her face 24 seven and just thinks everything is right, you know, but I think that those moments where you can share something with someone else and where you're working hard and you're feeling good about the things that you're making, you're uncovering things to yourself that you haven't before little breakthroughs, you know, and I suppose just like the whole entire range of emotions happening, you know, not getting stuck. And, but yeah, I don't know exactly what happiness is. And it's definitely a word that's thrown around pretty lightly, but. Yeah, there's, there's kind of like this tyranny of optimism and happiness and positivity. You know, it's like you said, like we're all supposed to be like walking around with this big grin on your face. And if we're not, people walk up to us and be like, you know, why the frown? It's yeah, like, I mean, that's insane. You know, why am I, t- why, why am I talking to you? I would probably scream at that person. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a lot. You know, there's a lot to be concerned about at all times. But well, and, yeah, and it's if you think about what you've described, right? Because I think one of the things that happens for people is that their their lifestyle isn't necessarily aligned with their emotional goal, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think about the things that you've done, right, being on the road, you know, not sleeping, going from town to town writing all these albums, doing all this pain. You know, it's like, it's not necessarily the recipe for quote unquote happiness. It's a recipe for fulfillment, for looking back and being like, wow, like I, I lived a life. But it's, it's not really happiness. I mean, if it was about happiness, you'd get eight hours of sleep and you would wake up and you would like, you know, have a nice fluffy bed and you would eat, you know, certain kinds of foods. And so it's, it's you know, it, it's interesting. I feel like how people don't necessarily always align what they do with what they think they want to feel, you know? Yeah. Well, the eight hours of sleep in the fluffy bed and the nice food, I mean, that sounds like some kind of like sitcom thing, you know? Like there's a lot of people with all those things that are absolutely miserable. So I don't, I don't know. I'm going to go back to the live performance thing. But when you look down and you see an audience that are truly feeling, they're feeling so much and they're smiling and you meet them after and you hear these incredible stories and people are so appreciative and they love it and they're inspired the way that I've been inspired by other bands. And I hear this, like these, these stories that are the same stories that I've told myself and you, and it feels very fulfilling. It feels like there's a reason I'm doing it. It feels like, it feels good, you know? It feels like a good thing, so. Um, yeah, because like when I, as an example, I mean, I think my introduction to your work was the video for Will There Be Enough Water? And I remember watching this and listening right at the beginning and thinking like, whoa, like how, how does this sound like no quarter, but it's not no quarter? Like how did they manage to get something that sounds original in that space? And then at, at the, when I watched the performance, I was like, oh my God, like this, like I, I, I it's like this, this is, this is what I've been looking for, you know? And, but it wasn't happiness per se. It was just this like, yes, like it's the only yeah. way to describe it, you know? It was Incredible just like something clicked, you know? Yeah. I mean, that song is so beautiful and how it came about is so beautiful. It literally, again, that thing where, you know, you've been given a song, like that one just, those words and that performance happened in real time with a mic on between Jack and I, and it was the first thing we ever recorded together. We literally turned a mic on in the studio. It was the first thing that was ever recorded in his studio, and it was the first thing we ever did. 
And it was so special and so off, off the cuff and in the moment. It was the reason we started the band after that. I, I could imagine doing it in the studio, but again, watching the performance, the audience, even though the audience was like seemed, at least from where I was, you know, just watching it seemed like silent. Like they were just oh, aghast, yeah. <laughs> but they were there, you know, it, yeah. it was still there, you know? Yeah, it's a special song. I mean, it really is. I mean, I remember my my brain just being blown when we did it, where we were like, "Wait, do we just do that? Yeah. Should we listen to that? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> it, was like- <laughs> it is so hard to find space in that genre that sounds powerful and original. It just is. Like, it's it's such a well-done genre but i was i was really i was very taken when when i watched it i was like wow it's a true emotion you're using all the words that have all been used before you're using all the notes that have all been used before the thing that is new and that's never been used before is the energy between two people that have never used it and whatever that captures that is it it's like those human beings and that moment and that was such an interesting even a few days there where the kills had been on tour with the rack and tours and we were towards the end. It was the last night of the tour and Jack had completely lost his voice. No, it was, there was two nights. So he completely lost his voice. So I went up and sang his songs. And then I, for, I went and sang my songs. And then I went and sang his songs during his set. And then the next day we had a show and we both had lost our voice entirely. I lost it because I'd done two sets. And, and then we both got on a tour bus. I hopped on the Rack and Tours tour bus and we drive all the way back to Nashville. And Jack has just built the studio and he's like, should we just see what the studio sounds like? Let's just try to record something. And, you know, it was just like the four of us. And that was the first thing that happened. And so I can hardly sing in that recording. You can tell there's, I, I'm like, wherever that sound is coming from out of my mouth. I mean, I was unable to talk, but I could do that. You know, there's the adrenaline, there's that thing, there's the superpower of the moment and the energy where we are both like broken, broken people. It's funny that you said that because I was, I was actually just about to ask about Rise and the lyric, you know, we will both wander broken and mm-hmm. just getting in talking about, you know, this is, this is a solo song and, and, you know, that project and how that came about. Yeah. Well, that came about, you know, I wrote that song a very long time ago. I wrote it in London in 2013, and I never did anything with it. It went into the bag of my million songs that I, you know, wait for the perfect home for. And then I was asked to to write something for for uh, Sacred Lies, which was a television show. And I was going through stuff. And they, I read the scripts, and I had a meeting with them, and they were describing, you know, what it was about and the feeling that they were looking for and a classic sounding song that every character could sing. And, and so it was a really cool task to try to write something that everyone could sing in different styles, in different ways, you know, I liked that. And so when I was going through my big bag of tricks, I found that song and I thought it was perfect for that. And it was really, it was really nice to see it again after all these years. And so I ended up going and recording my own version of it well after the fact of this TV show. They were, I'd given them a song and that was that and their characters were singing it and I had not made a recording of it. I just had my demo, you know. And then um, before the last episode came out, they, they asked me if I'd go into the studio and do my own version of it, how I saw the song so they could stick it on the tail end of the show, you know, like the end credits. 
which was exciting for me because anybody that's going to give me any money to go into a studio, I mean, I love going to the studio so much and it's a, a rare and wonderful thing. So I went in and did that version in a couple hours with Lawrence Rothman and I had Jamie come in and play a guitar line over the top of it. And, and that was that. And I didn't think much of it, you know, I mean, I loved it, but like, I didn't, this wasn't supposed to be my entrance into a solo career, which I, you know, I'm not, I have no intention. I have no record coming out. It's not, you know, like that, but the record label loved the song and wanted to put it out. So I'm into that, you know, more people that can hear it, the better. That's awesome. So that's how that happened. That's how Rise happened. Getting back to the concept of rootlessness, because I think that one of the things we were saying, again, that idea of normal versus not normal, a lot of people equate rootlessness with being broken and having roots as being, oh, you're whole. You know, it's like a lot of people, again, like I, my reaction to the fluffy bed thing is the same as yours. Like that doesn't sound particularly appealing to me, but I'm kind of curious from your perspective, when you take that rootless approach, how do you keep from feeling broken without those more stereotypical benchmarks? You know what I mean? That some people use, whether, whether appropriately or not. No, I mean, I think because you're an explorer, you're a wanderer. And I think because your home is in your head, you know, if you're in a bad mood about something, it doesn't matter where you go, you're bringing that with you. You know, you can't make someone change that for you. It's you. And so it doesn't matter where you are. And if you're on a mission to find something or you're excited about the world and you want to see it, and you're excited about the things you don't know that are daunting and it's exciting. It's an exciting thing. I think that having a purpose or having a goal or having a mission is the thing that makes rootlessness not bad, not a negative thing. I don't want to miss anything. You know, I feel like that, like I'm excited about what's out there and what I can find and being in one place and not going to look would be the opposite of my personality or like how I feel or what I think I'm supposed to be doing. So how would you define that sense of purpose? Because again, even that is something that a lot of people assume is, is rooted. You know, you either are wandering, rootless, no purpose, no whatever, or you're stable and have a purpose. What, what is the purpose in the context of rootlessness? I think inspiration, ideas, and understanding. You know, all of that this time has been so hard for me creatively being in one place because I'm missing all the action, you know, even if I'm standing on the side of it, witnessing and contemplating about what it means and what's happening. It's turned into me watching the news like a maniac, which is not good for me, but I can't help it because I want to be everywhere at once. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I have an answer to that question entirely. Well, the search for inspiration and for ideas is certainly, I don't know, it felt right to me. Yeah. It's, you know, that idea that, again, like that, you take it with you. And, you know, for some people, it's, look, I just want to keep searching. I want to keep searching, finding that inspiration, finding those cool things in the world. Yeah. That's, you know, Mark, Mark Greenway of Napalm Death talks about it very similarly. Like he says, he's just, there's just so much to do. He just wants to be free. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to do. I just, I was in Nashville for four months in lockdown and I just kind of woke up one day and I was like, I, I'm going to drive across the country now. It's just time to go, you know, 
felt like I, de- I did my time. Not that it's any different. I'm in LA now in lockdown, basically. <laughs> but just the act, of, the act of going to see what is going on out there that I've been watching through a television set, it was, I had to go, you know. And it was probably the most rooted I'd ever been. I mean, I was close to my family. I was at least getting to see them. It was becoming like this. Almost, I was almost getting used to it and it freaked me out so much. And I was starting to worry about things like, am I going to remember how to pack a suitcase or drive a car or all these things, you know? Packing a suitcase is a is a real skill. It's like it's like really something. Don't lose it. You can't lose it. Something I spent my life perfecting. I so don't have that skill. My wife yeah. is so good at that, and I'm horrible at it. Well, you should take some lessons from her. This is a very important thing to know how to do. But that that and like everything else. <laughs> no, but you know what? It felt so good. It was just this opening up of my head and just. Again, yet, you know, I can just drive for seven hours straight and just think it was like two seconds. It was just so wonderful. And just being alone and doing that and seeing the world go by and seeing the difference between the states and the way everyone's been handling this and how, what they're doing. And really, really amazing to see in person. In fact, I would just like to keep going. When I made it to L.A., I was like, I don't understand. I have to stop now, you know. Um, but... You know, when you're talking about it, it you know, and I, I, I feel like it makes so much sense to me and I, I, I feel it in the music and you see the productivity. Have you ever had a crisis of confidence around this where either you said to yourself, like, I don't know that this is the right thing for me or I'm having trouble connecting to the crowd or I'm having trouble connecting to my own inspiration? I've definitely had shows where I've struggled to connect to the crowd and it's torture. It's torture to be up there and it's not going well and you're not feeling anything from these people that are staring at you and it's not happening and you still got to be up there for another hour and it's like trudging through mud it's torture and then you know and that happens like that happens it's part of it and you just think whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger you know you go backstage and you're just like you're destroyed by it because you try, you try to like pull it from somewhere else, you know, and it's really hard to do sometimes. I would say that, yeah, being an artist is full of a a crisis of confidence on a daily basis, but it's all part of it. If you didn't have it, I don't think your work would be very good. You know, I always, before I walk on stage, think I can't do it. I always have butterflies. I'm always scared. I always think I'm going to forget how to do this. And for the most part, I'm always pleasantly surprised that it isn't up to me for something else kicks in and I, and it always, it works, you know, but I've never played a single show where I wasn't really nervous. Yeah. And, and it's interesting cause I want to pivot for a second to the spoken word album that's coming out. And, okay. you know, a lot of what we're talking about is that, is that energy and that heat And even when you're painting, like being around people, and I'm kind of curious just in terms of how you approach a spoken word album, you know, why, when you have all these, uh, all these lyrics, like why you, yeah, why, why a spoken word album? Well, I, I didn't, again, I didn't set out to do a spoken word album. I made a book, right? And this book has been this kind of insane thing where I was asked to do a 15 page fanzine and much like me, I started working on that. And I looked up and it was 112 pages later. And I was like, oh crap, this isn't a fanzine, this is a book. 
And so I did the book and everything went really well with the book. And I loved it. And when asked to describe what the book is, I can't, I don't know. It's about cars. It's about art. There's music, there's stories, there's poems, there's scripts, there's photographs, there's paintings, you know, spanning like 20 years of my life. It's just this crazy collection of stuff that I love, you know, but since I'd never written a book before, I, during the process of trying to edit some of the longer passages and stuff, I started recording myself reading them. And I wouldn't even really listen back to these things, but it was just like the, it was, I didn't have an editor. I didn't have anybody to, you know, bounce these things off of. So I would read them out loud and it would always tell me, and this is maybe because, you know, I'm more like audio focused if something was working or not, if it felt good or if it didn't feel good or if it got stuck or tangled up or I couldn't quite get it out of my mouth. I knew I needed to work on that line or this paragraph, you know? And so this became a thing I was doing when I was editing and re-editing and editing. And I really got into it. I really thought it was fun. And then I started talking in different voices. And then all of a sudden it just turned into this really fun thing where after I'd done the book, I was sitting at Third Man and because they're also a record label, obviously, um, it's like, you know, it'd be really fun to do like a, like an audio version of this book. Well, it's not in any way a straight up spoken word. I mean, I don't read everything in the book. There's lots of extra added things. There's lots of like little cut-ups and stuff like that. I don't know. I got lost for a month doing that and not thinking really even that, is this going to come out or is anyone going to listen to this? I don't know, because again, I don't know what it is. I haven't really heard too many spoken word books, but I don't think that this is like that, you know, but I got really into it because it reminded me like back in the early kills days or before the kills, I used to make these little kind of sound collages, like sound sculptures things on a four track cassette with like talking and really like cut up radio and cut up things and, um, random beats behind or a guitar line or something. And they were very nonsensical little sonic art pieces. And they ended up, a few of those things ended up on the first Kills record in between songs. And I really enjoyed making those. And so it was kind of harking back to that time where it was truly freeing to do anything I wanted to do, you know? Um, So it was really, it was more for me, it was the process of making it, which was so enjoyable because it was kind of a different sort of performance. And it made me laugh a lot. I really laughed a lot making that. So that's good. You know, maybe it'll make one other person laugh and everyone else is going to think I'm completely, ins- I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is. So this is all fantastic. And, and somebody like myself, you know, I'm thinking about the painting and I'm thinking about the music and the different projects and the spoken word and, and even the rootlessness. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, you know, I, I want to go do something. You know, I want to yeah. do something that, that feels like this. But I can't necessarily jump on the road, even though like right now at this moment, I, I, I kind of feel like I would want to. Yeah. What, what, what would you say to people? And I know, you know, you're not, it's not about like telling people what to do or anything like that, but just, you know, a lot of people I'm hoping are going to be inspired by your story and are going to think to themselves like, oh, I can't, but I I can't just get on the road like that, you know? And how, how would you, you know, talk to them about what to do with that part of themselves, that, that part that's seeking that same inspiration the way that you are? Well, I mean, I feel like everyone else during this time where I haven't been able to do those things either, you know, and I've had to kind of figure it out. And my way of doing that was to do stuff I'd never done before. 
like inside my house, you know, like um, I decided to teach myself how to make videos and music videos or things like that. You know, something that was incredibly like difficult for my brain with technology and stuff to kind of like figure out. There was a whole day where I sat and cut up cardboard boxes and painted them and made weird sculptures, you know, I've never done that either. And I don't know if I'll ever do it again, but it was really cool. <laughs> it's like, who doesn't have cardboard boxes lying around? All of us, lots of them right now. I don't know. It's just finding, it's just uh, closing your eyes and thinking about doing something you've never done. It doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. There's always something, there's always something to do that just takes you out of that regular routine. You know, I don't know. I'm always trying to find something. I feel like, you know, during this time of lockdown and stuff that days were, I wasn't even understanding days were just passing. They were just passing and every day felt really similar. And I knew that that wasn't doing good things for my head. And so it became like a game to find something obscure to do something that marked that day as a day that mattered in some way different differently, you know, but I don't know, you know, it's hard. Everyone has different things at their disposal and different responsibilities. And no, but I like that idea, you know, because I think that so many times when people hear, especially someone who's prominent and someone who's, who's, you know, moved ahead so far that you think to themselves, you know, I'll, I'll never be able to do that. You know, which is which is to a certain extent the exact opposite of of punk and particularly hardcore punk. You know, the whole point was like this is supposed to be accessible to everyone. Yeah. And I think that idea of just taking just this little part of your life, you know, just do something different and don't feel like you have to do it all. You know, you didn't just right from the beginning go on tour. You know, you started out with going on those trips with your dad, you know, yeah. and you come back to school and look look at where it went, you know. Yeah. I started meditating about a year ago and that has been really helpful for me during this. If I do that and if I shut my eyes for 20 minutes and I just let my brain go, I always think of something like ideas really come. They come because you imagine them. It's like you're dreaming, but you're awake and little things pop up. Like I can see things. I can see how something should be. If I'd been walking around with a question in my head about what should I do about that? um, It's very common that the answer will come to me when I'm meditating. And that's been a wonderful tool for me during this time. I don't know what I would have done without it. It's just helped me to a bit of escape, you know, a reset, but I don't know, do things like today, I'm only going to write with my left hand, you know, (laughs) and then you'll remember that weird Wednesday where everything you did was with the wrong hand. (laughs) It's just something, something to, make yourself laugh and challenge yourself, you know? Well, you know, maybe we should close out with what's next. I mean, you know, you've got all these things going on. What, yeah. what do you feel like is next for you? Uh, well, now I'm in LA. I've made it to the side. I'm working on music with Jamie and we're working on a, a compilation record of a bunch of B-sides and obscure tracks that we want to put out. And um, we're working on that and we're working on new music. So it's basically music based. And aside from that, I don't know, you know, I think I'm like everyone else. I'm walking around cleaning and figuring out what to do and make, you know, but there's definitely a lot of projects on the horizon, music based ones. Well, listen, 
I'm looking forward to seeing what's next. And, and just thank you so much for sharing your music and sharing the story. I know that I got very inspired listening to it. I'm hoping everybody else did. But uh, as things go on, I hope you come back on the podcast. I would love to. That was a very interesting talk. I would love to do more interesting talks like that. Thank you yeah. so much. So there you have it. For those of us out there who have wanderlust, who love new personal and artistic experiences, Allison has provided one example of how that can work. It is possible on some level to get many of our traditional needs met, safety, security, connection, in a non-traditional context. But remember, it starts with being true to ourselves, who we are, and what we need. And for those of us who either found ourselves in or chose a more traditional life, we can still capture that exhilaration by thinking outside the box and dreaming big. Maybe it's in art or music. Maybe it's in an athletic pursuit. Maybe it's writing that book that we always wanted to write. Whatever it is, we can all break free at least a little bit. So get at it, hardcore humans. See you next time.